0: Heads. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would be with, be with us this morning. Be with us as I uh, as I bring the Word, as I as I share uh, the Gospel, as I as I look at the passages that that um, that we're going to be uh, examining this morning. I pray for your grace um, on me that I would be faithful, that I would speak um, in harmony with your uh, with your will, and and I pray, Lord God, that as people are here hearing. Um, that your word would be like uh, seeds planted in their hearts, Lord. I pray that you would help us to to know you more through this time of hearing your word preached, that you would grant us your grace and your mercy. Um, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> it is the end of January, which I am quite happy about, um, for one very specific reason. Um Starting on January 1st, um, there's this strange phenomenon I encounter uh, in the morning when I go to the gym, and that is mess and other people. And and like it's actually hit a point where I get up earlier to go to the gym in January because there are other people who've made New Year's resolutions and decided that they're going to exercise too, and then I have to share space. That's mine and the school's. Um, <laughs> and, and right about the end of January, a shift happens where all of these people who are gung-ho begin to disappear and, and sleep in. And I, I don't have to get up quite as early. Um, and, and I say that it's kind of as a joke. I mean, if you, if you follow uh, on the Internet, there's all, always humor about you know, January 1st being crazy. You know, Everybody shows up to work out. My brother complains because he goes to, like, a real gym like a public gym that he has to pay to go to, and it's, he has to wait in lines, and it makes him crazy. And, and I, I realized this year as I've been kind of going through this um, Prodigal Son series, um, connecting it to that, like I've I realized um, that, that most of that attitude of like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you people are here in my area doing this thing. Like it's not my area. It's that I think it's my area because I've been there longer, Right. Because I show up every week and I've been showing up every week, it's mine. You know, because I use that machine every morning, it's mine. And in reality, it's not, right? It, it's just not. And that attitude of, like, oh, well, you're lame because you're doing something to improve yourself or because you're getting better um, when it's inconvenient to me, it's an awful attitude, right? It's selfish, it's, it's miserable. Um, and this week, we're going to be talking about that attitude times a 1,000 in the older brother. Um, we are working our way through the prodigal son. And, and in reality, um, what we talked about the very first week is this entire parable is about the older brother. But we never talk about him. <laughs> like the whole, par- the whole point of the story is the older brother. It's not about the younger brother. The younger brother is a powerful portion of the story, and it's the part we sort of gravitate to. But in reality, the entire series or the entire story um, is told in a way to draw out the older brother and to draw out the point that the older brother is wrong. Um, and, and so, like, we're going to look at that this week um, and hopefully do right by it. Um, so it's taken me three weeks to get to the point of this story. Um, this is the series so far. We've looked at the younger brother. We've looked at the repentance thing. We've looked at sin and how horrible it is to God. We've looked at the, the whole coming home aspect. Um, we've talked a lot about grace. Grace is a gift you receive, by the way. It is not something you earn, right? Grace is God's forgiveness and God's mercy on you, and you don't deserve it. And we think about that with the younger brother a lot, where the younger brother, he, he comes back from being rebellious and awful and everything else, and like he is... Um, he doesn't deserve his father's love he doesn't deserve his father's forgiveness but he gets it and it's this perfect image of what we receive in christ i i don't deserve god's forgiveness right i i don't deserve it for so many reasons i don't deserve to be made clean or pure or new or to be like christ or to be adopted into god's family none of that stuff i don't deserve any of it none of us deserve it right and that is grace and grace the biggest enemy of grace is that it's mine attitude, right? You're encroaching on my space. This is mine. I was here first. It's mine. I'm better at this, so it's mine. And you see this in churches as much as you see it in gyms, probably a lot more, where the folks who've been there for a long time begin to look around and say, well, you know what? I got this stuff nailed down and you don't. So can you give me my space? That's my seat, right? That's where I park my car. <laughs> That's my, I mean, it happens. And actually, I think this is a very graceful church. I think I'm not like preaching in any of y'all in particular. It's not like in my experience, like the attitude I've encountered here is amazing. Um, but this is the point of the sermon. This is the point of the series um, or the, the, the story. And so, um, but really to do this right, we're going to jump right into the book of Jonah, right? Which is, of course, the right way to tell this story. Um, about the older brother. You all know the story of Jonah, right? Has anybody not heard this one? Jonah was a prophet uh, in Judah, uh, or in northern Israel. Sorry, I always get that wrong. Um, And he was sent to, or he was in Judah, he was sent to northern. Anyway, he was sent to to, um, reprimand um, um, Nineveh. He was told, go to the city, want you to go there and tell them God's judgment is coming and they are in trouble. And he says, no. When I was a kid and I heard this story, tell me if you've heard it this way. I was told that Jonah didn't want to go because he was afraid. Because he thought the Ninevites would probably kill him. Has anybody heard it that way? Really? It was just me and Abby, huh? <laughs> um, I was told, oh, well, he didn't want to go because he was afraid or because of what this or that. In reality, Jonah didn't want to go because he hated the Ninevites and he was looking forward to God killing them. You all with me? Like his attitude was, those guys are awful. They've caused so much trouble in my own country, and I am ready, willing, and able to watch God step on them. And that is the good part. Like, let's do this. And God says, Jonah, go tell them I'm going to destroy them. And he says, no. You know why? Because they might repent. (laughs) And he didn't want them to repent. He wanted God to kill them. (laughs) Like that was his whole thing. Um, And so he tries to run away, and he gets dragged back. By the way, the big irony of the story is Jonah says, no, he disobeys God. He's swallowed by a great fish, and he's basically dead, like good as dead, and like he's good as dead for days, and God forgives him and forgives him by dragging him to Nineveh. (laughs) Like, he can't get away from God's will in this situation. And so Jonah walks into the middle of the city and gives the lamest sermon ever until I started preaching. Like, he stands in the middle and says, God is going to kill all of you, and I am happy. Have a nice day. And he leaves. This is a summary. That's the message version. Um, and And so he leaves and like having given a nothing sermon, he doesn't call him to repentance, he doesn't anything. He basically tells him god's going to kill all of you, and you deserve it. See ya and then he goes out and he sits on a hill outside the city to watch the destruction right, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and then God doesn't destroy the people like he doesn't destroy them because the the city they repent, and they turn and they like get rid of all of their idols uh, um and and so, um, well, stupid watch. <laughs> Did everybody catch that? The watch wasn't just uh, stupid. Anyway, uh, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish." Um, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He is so ticked off that God didn't destroy these people that he says, God, kill me now. It'd be better for me to be dead than to watch these people not die. Like, wow, (laughs) that is an attitude, isn't it? I mean, he says, it would be better for me to die than to deal with the fact that you are gracious. Not minding the fact, by the way, that God's graciousness is the whole reason he wasn't being digested by a shark or a big fish. Um, Like like the whole mercy that he relied on to not die is the mercy God offered these people, and he's ticked off about it. He says, no, 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 God, you were supposed to kill these guys. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city, and he made himself a shelter and sat there in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah is pretty emo. Um, And so he has a plant over him and he's quite happy that he's got shade. And then the plant dies and he's furious at God that the plant died. Right? It would be better for me to die because it's sunny. I mean, I... Get that. But, but he, he's, he's upset. and It's better, better for me to die than for you to save these people. Better for me to die than to sit out here without that plant. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I am so angry, I wish I was dead. God says, is it right that you're upset that I'm not going to destroy this city? And he doesn't answer him. Is it right that you're upset that I let the plant die? Darn right, it's right. It's not fair. You killed my plant. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have comfort or have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? and also many animals. And so God, this is actually where the story ends. Um, God stops Jonah and says, you're worried about a plant, like, but you're not worried about the 120,000 people you want me to kill. What's your deal, Jonah? You're more upset about the plant than you are about these people. Now, I'm starting with this because Jesus is very clever, and as Jesus is teaching, he's teaching this lesson um, to the folks that he's talking to. And it starts out with Luke 15, 1 to 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he starts out, and the Pharisees and tax collectors are watching Jesus, and they're complaining, Hey, He's endorsing these wicked people. He's hanging out with sinners. Shouldn't he be announcing God's judgment on them? Shouldn't he be killing them? Shouldn't he be doing this? Shouldn't he be doing that? Shouldn't he be with us? We're the good guys. You know, We're the regulars. We show up every morning, not these guys who just, just managed to figure out that God's out there. Why is he hanging out with them? Jesus responds by telling three stories. The first story, who remembers it? parable of the lost sheep wow (laughs) it's been like a month um so jesus tells the story of the parable of the lost sheep he says listen this man loses his sheep wouldn't he leave 99 of them out in the open country to go find one and when he came back he would have a party because he's so happy about finding his sheep and it's this huge exaggeration because if you had a party you'd probably kill the sheep to eat it to have the party right (laughs) like nobody's gonna do that much um, but the point is, you would be really excited if you lost a sheep and you found it. And then he says, if an old woman were to lose a tenth of her li- like her her wealth in her house, wouldn't she like search everywhere and find it and then have a party because she was so happy she found it? It would cost ten times more than she found to have the party. But the point is, if you lost money and you found it, you'd be excited. If you lost... A sheep and you found it you'd be excited and then he tells the story of the lost son and he's doing this thing it's a rabbinical trick it's like an argument from the lesser to the greater right is what it's called and he's saying the sheep isn't the sheep is something you would be excited about the money is something you'd be excited about but your attitude is look at these wicked people why are you associating with them and so he tells the story of the lost son who is horribly offensive in that culture like for you to go to dad and say, dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have half the farm? I'm going to sell it off and, you know, go party with the money. And dad gives him half the farm and he sells it off and he takes the money and he goes and lives wild. And, or a third of the farm, excuse me. Um, he, he goes and he lives wild and he comes back like broken and, and poor and stinky and filthy and everything else. And God welcomes or the father welcomes him back. And says, Hey, we're gonna have a party. I'm gonna restore you to the family. You are a part of this whole thing again. Like we love you so much. Thank you. You were dead, now you're alive, you were lost, now you're found. My versification's wrong here. It's not one to two. I forgot to change them. I'm sorry. It's the end of the chapter. Or it's the end of the story if you're following along in your Bible. Meanwhile, so the son has rebelled and come back. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the father has done what the shepherd did, right? The father did what the old woman did. And now he's... He's doing this, he's having the party, he's excited, lost, found, dead, alive. Oh my goodness, this is wonderful, let's have a party. And the oldest son comes, sees this thing, and responds with anger. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now, let me pause right there. In ancient Israel, in ancient Jewish culture... If your father was celebrating something and you said, I'm going to hang out outside, conspicuously outside, so everybody knows I'm not attending, like that's what the son's doing, this is it's, – it's dishonoring, right? Like this would be a huge insult to dad. Dad would be kind of humiliated by his son's actions. But the son is so ticked off that he says, I would – like my father's wrong and I'm angry at him. God, you killed my plant, right? God, you killed my plant. Jesus, you're eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. Dad, how can you welcome that that awful son of yours back? So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. The father is literally doing the same thing he did with his youngest, right? Remember we talked about that last week? The father hiked up his robe and he ran out to the son, like humiliated himself, running out to him. And instead of waiting for the son to come to him, he goes to him, both of which are unheard of in that culture. Fathers did not go to sons. Sons came to fathers. You summoned them, and they came and spoke to you. So it should be in my house, but it's not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and men didn't run at all, and that's definitely not the way it is in my house. Um and the father, you know, He goes out to his son. He humiliates himself by going out to the son who is out there insulting him. And he goes to him and he says, "Um, hold on, I lost my place. But he answered his father and pleaded with him. He goes out and he begs him, come in, enjoy the party, join us, please, please, please. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, see how he said that? Every dad in the room knows what this is, right? You say to your wife, that child of yours, as though it's not both of your children, right? Like (laughs) When they're bad, it's your kid. When they're good, they're mine. He's not saying... My brother, he's saying, that son of yours. Because he's not even acknowledging he's his brother. By the way, the Pharisees, who are saying tax collectors and sinners, they're not saying Gentiles. They're saying tax collectors and sinners. So these are fellow Jews. These are like fellow sons of Abraham. These are family members. And they're saying Jesus is hanging out with those guys, not Jesus is calling our brothers back to the, back to the, you know, back to the kingdom, back to the, the, the nation. Like, like he's not, they're not happy about it. They're saying, look, why are you doing this? Because we're not a part of them. They're not a part of us. Um, This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf with him, for him. Um. So there's an attitude here, and it's the problem. Okay, now watch this. Here's the attitude, and it's the same attitude the younger son had, but the younger son has it more obvious. The younger son looks at dad and says, Dad, I'm pretty sure that money grows off trees, and you're a money tree. Give me what I want, right? He looks at his relationship with his father as a transactional situation, like I'm getting something from you. Give it to me. Because this is what you are to me. You are a source of money. Anybody ever feel like that with your kids? (laughs) Um, The younger son doesn't love his father. He, He wants something from him. His attitude toward him is, I want something from you. Give me what I have coming the younger son does not love the father. Contrast that with the older brother who says, I will not join you. I will insult you publicly because you owe me. Right? Where's my party? Why don't I get a party? Why don't I get this? Why don't I get that? The older brother sees the father as owing him. I did a marriage counseling with a guy probably 10 years ago. It was one of the first people I ever talked to about marriage troubles. And he was telling me about um, things he had done in his home for his wife. And his wife never responded the way he wanted her to. And I asked her, I'm like, hey, you did this and you did this and you did this and you did all those things so she would do these things? Yes. So you didn't do them because you loved her. You did it because it's a transaction in your mind. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, we we oftentimes approach each other that way. Relationships in our selfishness become transactions. I want what I want, and this is what I will do to get what I want. This is how I will behave to get you to pay out. Um, That is a kind of relationship, but it is not love, Right? And as Jesus is addressing these folks, he's pointing out, look, the tax collectors and the sinners, unarguably rotten people, right? Bad. The older brother, obedient, follows the rules, also bad. But how can that be? He's worked for him all these years, and he's done everything the father ever asked. But he didn't do it because he loved his father. He did it because he wanted something. And actually... The craziest thing about the Pharisees, because we liked it. I mean, the modern church, we love to dog on the Pharisees, right? Like, they're easier to talk bad about than the Sadducees, because, like, like you don't know everything about the Sadducees, whereas the Pharisees are all over the place. And, like, Jesus owns them over and over again. Um, He dunks on them. I think that's what the young folks say now. Um, He, (laughs) I'm hip. I'm cool. Uh, Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. He actually says something nice about them. And actually, if you look at when Jesus teaches about fasting, he says, Look, the Pharisees do these things, and you would do well to do the same. Because you know what? The Pharisees' obedience is not the problem. The older brother was obedient. The problem was, and we go on, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds, watch this, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries, which are these little boxes you put on your forehead to show that you obey the Ten Commandments. They make them broad and their fringes long. So these are very visual out, outside. Everybody can see I'm a proper Jew because I have a huge box on my forehead and I have long fringes on my clothes, um, which is weird, but it makes sense back then. Um, and they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seats at synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by others. Jesus is saying, listen, they obey. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. They're on it. They nail down the law. They have got it like going on. They have every move figured out and worked out, and they do it perfectly. But they're not doing it for God. They're doing it for themselves. They're doing it for their own attention. If you want to poison a relationship with anyone, make it all about you, right? You want to see a terrible parent, a terrible parent makes the entire parental child relationship all about them. A divorce, oftentimes like it comes about because we make our marriage all about us. Um, The Pharisees and the older brother in this instance, the failure they have is that they're looking at the dad. They're looking at God and they're saying, I have done well. I deserve. In reality, even the best of us doesn't deserve grace. Right? Even the best of us doesn't deserve forgiveness. Even the very best of us deserves hell because of our sin. Not a one of us deserves Christ pouring out his blood for us. Not a one of us deserves the cross on our behalf. Not a one of us deserves God lifting a finger to save us. In reality, all of us deserve judgment. Because we rebel, because we do selfish things, because we're wicked. God forgives us despite us despite what we deserve, despite what our hearts look like. And when we wander into older brother territory and we say, God, you owe me, he still forgives us. He still calls us back when we get lost because he loves us that much. The biggest danger we have in falling away from Christ isn't falling into sin. It's not falling into lust. It's not falling into alcohol. It's not falling into any of that other stuff. It is falling into self-righteousness. It's when you forget that you need the cross and you think you are blessing God by your presence. There's a great Babylon Bee article um, talking about uh, a gal at at a church that, you know, like this mega church. I think it may have been a Joel Osteen joke, but Um, after listening to a 40 minute sermon about how great she was, woman begins to back up and ask, why, why do I need this Jesus person anyway? I'm awesome. I think we can get lost in this idea that I'm good. I tithe. I show up every week. I volunteer. I do this. I have the right political views. I dress the right way. I been coming here every morning for years. Just because you made a new year's resolution doesn't mean you should show up too. God desires us to love him and worship him, not that we would love and worship ourselves, which is what both of the sons do. And the father responds, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now hit pause here. There's a funny little detail in Jesus' story when he does the the gift to his younger son? He says, "Well, look, I'm going to split up the wealth between my two sons." Like the the son asks, and the father gives the sons their inheritance. And so, in reality, the older son actually owns everything already. Like he's already inherited it, just like the younger son inherited it. And so, it's kind of a crazy thing. That he says, "Hey, you haven't done this for me." And in reality, God already gave him everything, or the father already gave him everything. Um, everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this uh, brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's where the story ends. We don't find out what happens to the older brother. We don't. Jesus doesn't say the older brother decided to hang out in the darkness While everyone else partied. He doesn't say the older brother decided to join the party. And rejoice that his brother was alive again. He doesn't say anything. Because he's telling the story to the Pharisees. And he's leaving it right there. He's saying Pharisees. Celebrate with me. Because your brother is coming back to life. Celebrate with me. Because the Messiah is here. Celebrate with me. And they're saying. And he's leaving it up to them. Do it or don't do it. Make your decision please come with though so. the dangerous place to be in relation to god is not the drunk because it's easier to repent when you know you need to repent i have rarely meet i rarely meet a scoundrel who doesn't know he's a scoundrel you know what i mean like it's rare to find somebody who it always makes me laugh when people walk in the door of the church the first time and they say oh wow i haven't caught fire yet Am I okay? (laughs) It's like, whatever, like they're having a party right now in heaven because you're here. Come on, (laughs) you know, like come join us. It's the people who assume they don't need Christ. Those are the ones who are in trouble. Um, There's a great story. I'm actually going to paraphrase this, and it'll be kind of where I finish here. This is from Luke 18. Um, Actually, no, in fact, I'll read it. Uh, To some who are confident, this is Jesus you know He's teaching, he says, to, those, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, Thank God, or God, I thank you, that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Um, As we're kind of coming up on the end of this, my encouragement for you, my challenge for you is to look at your heart and look at your life and ask yourself, Have I wandered into the older brother territory? I mean, like, have I hit this point where I rely on my own righteousness for everything that is good about me? That doesn't mean that we're not discerning. So let me clarify here, right? Like, it doesn't mean we're not smart in how we deal with people. It doesn't mean that we're not, you know, we're picking up rattlesnakes and, oh, look, the rattlesnake is my friend. Nope. Um, Actually, if you look at Paul, I mean, who converted like Paul? right? Paul converted and spent 10 years in the desert before the disciples let him come and see them. They're like, yeah, I don't want to talk to that guy. He killed Stephen. Like, and he arrested a bunch of us. You know, he can hang out with you all over there, but he's not coming over here because they were careful. They were cautious and they saw fruit of his repentance and they welcomed him in. Um, that doesn't mean we set a standard. It doesn't mean It means that we stand here and say, I am wicked. I am broken just like you. It means we encourage folks to come to know Christ. It means we back up and say, you know what? No matter how far you've gone, you are brought back and you are saved by Christ's blood. And we ourselves look and remember over and over and over again, I am saved by the blood of Christ. I am saved by grace alone. I don't deserve it. I don't. Like, merit it. I can't do anything to earn it. Nothing. When we see the broken walk in the door, we celebrate. We tell them about Christ. We share the gospel. We be Christ to them. Where do you fall, folks? What's your heart look like? Is God lucky that you show up? Is he blessed to have a follower as wonderful as you? Or are you blessed to have a God as wonderful as him? I, I realized when I was in college, I had this moment where I realized like I was going through a really dark and bad time. And I realized that the darker the world around me, the darker the situation I'm in, the brighter the light of the cross is if we assume that everything we are in is so bright and wonderful, we will never see the fullness of Christ's glory, We'll never see the fullness of his sacrifice for us. Now close in prayer, and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that we would be people who who are neither the older brother nor the younger brother, Lord, um, but that we would be people who stand in God's presence, having... Having been graced to have a relationship with a Father as wonderful and awesome as you. And I pray, Lord God, that we would celebrate as, as the lost are found. I pray that we would encourage and challenge people to come to repentance. I pray that we would, um, that we would have hearts like Christ, Lord. Um, give us wisdom, give us grace, um, give us mercy, and most of all, Lord, give us eyes to see where we're broken and where we're lost and where our attitudes and hearts are wrong. Um, Help us to be people who, who obey through and through and are your people in Christ's name. Amen. If you are going to the nursing home today, let me know. Like I said, I don't have a musician yet, so...